Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So today I'm going to conclude the series I began weeks ago called The Discipleship. And of course, it's more than a series. It was a campaign. And our whole intent is to help people become fully... Oh boy. Let me go back to lesson one. Fully committed followers of Christ. Let me hear you say it. That is our goal, and we've been using this metaphor called the discipleship, and being the boater I am, I just love the fact that I get to talk about boating and use all of these illustrations from the world of navigation, and so this was our series. Week one was, every ship has a captain. Week two, every ship has a name. Every ship has a helm. Every ship has an anchor. Every ship has a crew. Every ship has a cost. Last week with Pastor Steve, every ship has a sail, and this week I'm concluding the series with every ship has a heading. Now, unless you're a sailor in the Navy or an airplane pilot or maybe a very experienced boater, you're probably not fully clear on what a heading is. And most people think a heading and a course are the same thing. They actually aren't. They're similar, but they're not quite the same. Here's the difference. A course is where you intend to go. A heading is where you happen to be pointed. And I know some of you are thinking, well, shouldn't that be the same thing? Well, actually not. Let me show you. I'm going to show an illustration up here on the screen. So supposing you were a sailor or a boater, and you were going to travel from Miami to Bahamas. We've got Gun Key there. And uh, you see the dotted line there, the brown dotted line there. That is the direct route. That is your route. That would be your course. But you have some external factors. You have a Gulf Stream, which is the current in the South Atlantic that comes up, or North Atlantic, I guess, and South, and it comes up uh, and pushes your craft to the north. Then you have your southeast prevailing wind also pushing you north. And so what you have to do as a boater is you actually have to turn your heading into that, into the wind, into the Gulf Stream, into the current, and adjust for that. And so if you see that picture, that boat is actually aimed at something else. And if it does that, if its heading is adjusted for the current, then it can actually make that trip straight and true. Now, here's what happens if you don't have a different heading than your course. And uh, look at this next illustration. Understand this one's reversed because the trade winds and the tide are coming from the north in this one. So it's pushing you to the south. But I want you to look at it. You'll see the, the red ship and the white ship. And so they have a destination. That is their course, that red line. They want to make that journey. But what happens is they get out into the waters and immediately the wind and immediately the tide is pushing them off course. And so they both adjust their heading. Now the red ship actually adjusts it way north of the destination because it know it has to compensate for the drift, for the wind and for the current. Whereas the white ship, if you look at that, it actually is just continues to aim or have a heading at the destination. So what happens with the red ship, it's actually she gets back on course and away it goes. And the, the white ship, it just continues to drift off course. And it keeps pointing and adjusting its heading. But what's happening, it's continually being pushed further and further off course. Eventually, it gets 
gets there, but it traveled way further than it needed to. Now, probably anyone in the room that's ever, how many of you have been kayaking or canoeing? How many have been kayaking, canoeing? A bunch of you have. We learned Pastor uh, last week, Pastor Steve knows nothing about it. He called paddling rowing. At one point, he referred to it as oaring. Uh, <laughs> and he did a good job because he proved he knew nothing about boating, and that was his goal. Uh, but if you've ever gone kayaking or canoeing in particular, you're very affected by the winds and the waves because your craft is so light. And if you were ever crosswind, you've probably all done this, and you saw a destination, a point you wanted to head towards, so you aimed at that point, let's say another island, and you started to paddle towards that island, but the wind continued to move you off course. So you just kept on pointing at it and thinking, why am I getting further away? Because you didn't adjust for the fact that there was this wind. And so it's counterintuitive, but you have to actually aim way off course in order to get on course to adjust for the wind. And the reason I'm bringing this up is for this very purpose, is in life, your heading and your course in life are rarely the same. We set a heading. We say, here's where I think I'm going. And then you discover in life that that's not actually where you went at all. I don't know a single person, not one single person, that set a course, set a destination, had a vision for their life, that they lived into that vision, that actually ended up exactly where they said they were going to go and all the points along the way. Am I right about this? We set a heading, we set off in life, and God directs our path. Why? Because we have the winds of adversity blowing on us and the gentle nudging of the current of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, the current of the Holy Spirit is going to be more powerful than the winds of adversity. But it doesn't matter. You are not going to end up where you thought you were going to. Let me ask you a question about the early explorers. Uh, You know, Magellan and Columbus. Did they actually know where they were going? They couldn't have known where they're going because they'd never been there before. Nobody had ever been there before. And so they just headed off. One of my favorite quotes is from Christopher Columbus. This is what he said. I'm telling you that India is that way. Now set my course. Here's my question for you. Was India that way? India that way? Not exactly, right? I mean, I suppose if you could go through a continent, you'd end up in India. But of course, did that deter him? When he actually got there, he landed in the Bahamas. Did he actually think he had still arrived at India? He still thought he was in India. That's why he called the natives there Indians, a term that has stuck around for actually hundreds and hundreds of years. It's kind of funny, I listened to a speaker one day, he was doing a conference in Winnipeg, his name was Richard Twist, and he was a native Christian leader, and he was kind of annoyed about Christopher Columbus, like they sometimes are, and this is the statement he made. He said, they called us Indians because he was looking for India. He said, what would they have called us if he was looking for Turkey? And then he said, what would they have called us if they were looking for the Virgin Islands? (laughs) And I had to laugh about that. And this is what Winston Churchill said. He said that Christopher Columbus was the first socialist in history. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where he was. And he did it all at the government's expense. (laughs) That's a little sociology lesson for you there. So here's my point is we don't always know where we're going to land in life. We set a vision for our life, and oftentimes it's not where we expected it to be. You know, people often ask me this question. They say, Pastor Mark, 35 years ago when you started Church of the Rock, did you foresee it just like it is today? Is this what you saw? Did you see a a megachurch with with thousands of people? Did you see a television ministry across the nation? Did you see all these multiple campuses that we have connected? Did you see missions all over the world? 
And I would love to say I saw it all. But I would be so lying, and you hate it when your pastor lies to you. And uh, I'll tell you what I saw. Honest to goodness, my vision was so narrow, so small, so tiny, so uh, minuscule. And what had happened when we started, the first thing we did was we bought 100 gray chairs. Actually, we still have those gray chairs. <laughs> They're at North End Campus. They're sitting in them right now as, as we speak. They'll keep them clean because they'll last a long time if you do. So they have those 35-year-old chairs, but that's all we had was these 35-year-old, 30, sorry, 100 chairs 35 years ago. And my vision was that one day I hoped to fill all of them. <laughs> that was my vision, right? And imagine that, having such a small vision, but obviously that's all I could believe for at the time. And then what happened as we moved along is my vision just kept on changing as God moved us along. And there's no way we can totally know where we're going to land in life. It's just the way it is. So we might, might as well just resign to that. Set our heading, but at the end of the day, you never know where you're going to end up. I have a little story I want to tell you about it, one navigation story before I really move into the meat of this that I think you'll find amusing. So Kathy and I have been part of this boaters group uh, called the Power Squadron. And what we do on Lake of the Woods, once a year, is we all get together, 10, 15, sometimes 20 boats, and we explore Lake of the Woods. And we all go in a caravan, and off we go. And uh, we go to different places. Now, it's a humongous lake. There's 105,000 kilometers of shoreline, 14,552 islands. There's a lot of places to go. But I noticed the leaders of this would often go to places we'd been before. So I said to them one day, I said, can we go somewhere different? And he says, sure, where do you want to go? I said, let's go to Turtle Bay. He says, do you know where Turtle Bay is? And I said, yes, I'll lead. <laughs> and so I offered to lead to Turtle Bay. Now, I'd never been to Turtle Bay. I wasn't 100% sure where it was. Kathy said, do you know where it is? I said, yeah, it's right here on the chart, Turtle Bay. She says, how do you know that's Turtle Bay? Because it wasn't marked. I said, it's shaped like a turtle. And so I'm assuming that's Turtle Bay. And I knew that there was a very uh, exclusive fishing camp in Turtle Bay. So I said, this is where it is. There's a fishing camp marked there on the chart. Let's go. So they let me lead. Off, they, off we went. And we traveled way further than I thought it was looking on the chart. And we probably went over water about 45 miles, which is a very long time, almost two hours of traveling. And I thought, oh, we finally found it. So we finally get into it. We pull into this bay. The moment we turned into the bay, I realized it was not Turtle Bay. And this was not the fishing camp. It was just this little old beat-up fishing camp. And I thought, this is not where we're supposed to be. And so we set, we set our anchors down. And we lashed our boats together. Everybody started jumping off the boats and swimming and having a snack and having a drink. And I was so embarrassed because I had led them to the wrong place. And I said, Kathy, I just can't even show my face. I've led them to the wrong place. To which Kathy said, Mark, nobody but you knows we're in the wrong place. <laughs> so if you just keep your mouth shut, do they look like they're upset? And it was a spectacular place. And they were all thanking me by the end of the day. Thanks for bringing us to this fantastic place. This huge rock that climbed out of the water 100 feet. They said, we've never been here before. I'm thinking, me neither. <laughs> and my point is that we don't ever always know where we're going to land in life. And that day... I felt like Captain Kirk, right? And I know you think I'm just like Captain Kirk, right? And who wouldn't want to be just like him? A bit of my hero. And check this meme out. Check this out. I love it. Always be yourself. 
Unless you can be Captain Kirk, then be Captain Kirk. It's a bit of a life motto for me. And so every once in a while, I like to pretend I'm Captain Kirk. Because what's that all about? Space. The final frontier. These are the voyagers of the Starship Enterprise. Our five-year mission is to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, I know that sounds like Star Trek to you, but I think Jesus could have very easily have said almost exactly the same thing. What is our job? Our job is to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization and bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same mission. And that's what we're going to look at today. That is our heading. And I'll tell you where we are. We're in Matthew 28. And many of you know Matthew 28 at the very end of the chapter is the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he left earth. He had died. He had risen from the dead. He had not yet ascended into heaven. And this is what he said. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Say, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So he says, this is what our heading is. Our heading is to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. And what we know about this is that our job is to make disciples. And we've often looked at the Great Commission and we've misunderstood it. The Great Commission, which we read here, does not tell us to go into the world and make converts. And that's a good starting point, but that's not what it tells us to do. It doesn't actually tell us to gather a crowd, which, again, is not a terrible thing, or as I like to indelicately refer to it, bums in chairs. That is not our goal and our objective. It's not our job, believe it or not, to build the church. Jesus says that's his job. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So then what is our job? Tell me. Make disciples. And so let me throw it up on the screen here. This is our heading. This is where we're going. Number one is to make disciples. Number two, to baptize them. And number three, to teach them. And so the very part of this that's the imperative is actually not to go, but to make disciples. And this first part is a little bit confusing because it starts by saying, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. And people think the imperative is to go therefore into all the world. But that is not the imperative. In fact, it's written incorrectly. It's lost in translation. And you've probably heard some. Have you ever heard this sermon where a pastor has stood up there, especially out of the King James, where it says, Go ye therefore. It's a command to go ye therefore into the world. How many have ever heard that sermon? A bunch of people preach that sermon. It's actually not biblically correct. It's lost in translation. It's not go ye therefore as a command. This is the most, more accurate translation. As you go, make disciples. The imperative is make disciples, not go. And the go is passive. It's as you go. See, you're going anyway. You're all going somewhere. So why don't you make disciples while you're going? Doesn't that make difference? It makes all the difference in the world. And you know, Paul's an interesting story, and we've studied him a lot in Lessons from Lockdown. You know, four and a half years in lockdown... Not even in his own will and volition, just going where they would take him. Did he ever stop making disciples? 
He never stopped making disciples the whole time, and he didn't even know where he was going. They put him on a ship to take him from Israel to Rome to have him stand trial, and look at the journey. It took him all over the Mediterranean. He was in storms, he was in shipwrecks, he was in different places, but did he ever stop making disciples? He continued to make disciples as he went. And here's the thing for us to understand is that every single one of us are disciple makers, whether we realize it or not. You know why? Because all of you, as you go, you're all as you going, right? How many of you as you going right now? Not really the second, but in life, you are as you going. We're all as we going somewhere, right? That's bad English. I don't care. You get my, you, you get my point. You know what I'm talking about. We're all going somewhere. And so our job is to make disciples as we go. So you can be a doctor, a lawyer, Indian chief, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. You are still a disciple maker. Whatever you do in life. And so here's the big challenge for many people is we don't, we really don't actually realize what it is to go into the world and to make disciples. And so I'm going to take a few moments today and I'm going to tell you how to make a disciple because Jesus didn't tell us how. He said, just go and do it. And there's no manual. Have you noticed that? Jesus did not leave us this big discipleship manual, disciple makers manual, 202 and 203 and 204. He didn't didn't leave us that manual. How do we know how to do it? All we have to do is go read the book. And we read the book and we see what he did. And here's Jesus' model. It's in three steps. One, two, three. Here's step one. Jesus, what he did was he just modeled it to his disciples. Or in other words, that's what he did. He calls his disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Or I will make you disciple makers. So they go and they follow him. For the next year, year and a half, they don't do a single thing. Jesus did, here's the point, Jesus did, they watched. Is that correct? I mean, for the next year and a half, Jesus did all the preaching, all the teaching, he did all the healing, all the miracles, and they just kind of walked around like this behind him, you know, watching, he's really fantastic. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey? And where is he getting this authority from? Man, this guy's wild. Have you seen the stuff he's doing? That's what they did for a year and a half. And then after a year and a half, he turned the tables on him, right? And then he said, okay, now I'm sending you. And remember, he sent out the 72 by 2, and he says, I want you to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to cast out demons. So now he moved from him doing and them watching to them doing and him watching. You following this? And then he would comment on how they did. So they went off, and they came back rejoicing, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He was asking him these questions. and He tweaked them a little bit, and he says, here's why. Your names are written in heaven. And he worked with them for another two years. And they got better and better at it because they were now doing the stuff, and he was watching them, and he was helping them do it. And then after three and a half years, what did he do? He said, oh, by the way, I'm going. I'm checking out. I'm going home, leaving you guys here. Don't worry about it. You're better off. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's going to take care of business for you. So step one was he did. They watched. Step two was they watched. Or sorry, he, they did while he watched. Step three was he left, leaving them to do getting someone else to watch them. You following that? Or in other words, rinse and repeat. It's the instructions for disciple making. It's on the back of your shampoo bottle. 
That's all you have to do. Step one, two, three. Step three is rinse and repeat. And you just do it, and so you, make, you let somebody watch you, and then you release them and watch them, and so forth and so on, and the kingdom has advanced for 2,000 years using the same instructions right on the back of the bottle of Alberto VO5. It's amazing, isn't it? So let me illustrate a little story about this, about how easy this is, because sometimes we think, I can't do this, I'm not a disciple maker, I'm not sure how to do it. So I want to tell you the story about how Kathy and I got discipled. And I suspect that the person discipling us didn't even realize they were doing it. So we were first married. We were brand new Christians. We didn't know nothing from nothing. You know how little we knew? Nothing. And so uh, we decided, they told us, the pastor said, go to, this, go to a small group, get involved with a small group Bible study. So we did. We went to a home group. It was out in Charleswood. We lived out towards that part of town. And the people leading this were a couple, a little older than us, maybe 10, 15 years older than us, named John and Joanna. And John and Joanna, he was a contractor. She was in the business as well, but she was more of a passionate follower of Jesus and disciplers, really who she was. So we joined this, this small group, and they kind of took us under their wing and just kind of loved us and had us over for dinner and gave us advice and told us stuff in the Bible and what it meant because we didn't know nothing from nothing. Did I mention that to you? And then after about six months... She did the unthinkable, and she asked me if I would lead the next week's study. And the next week's study was on this verse. We were going through this verse, and she had done the first part. And she said, I want you to do the part where it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know there was these books. I don't know if you ever heard them called commentaries, where they explain the Bible. Didn't know that. I didn't know there's these other things called Bible school that people go to and learn stuff. Didn't know any of that. I thought you just looked at it, figured something out, and then that was good enough. So I spent all week figuring this out, trying to figure out what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were all about. That next week, I gave the most incredible lesson on the Trinity, so unique, a perspective that no one in this world has ever heard before. <laughs> and Joanna pulled me aside and said, Mark, I just love your passion and your enthusiasm. Just one tiny little problem. You have no idea what you're talking about. And everything you said was unbiblical tonight. And I thought, oh, how would I to know, right? And so that was sort of my start in this. And they just helped us. And eventually I did become a small group leader. In fact, I did. And uh, they were just so kind to us. I mean, we were this young couple. We were buying our first house. In those days, the economy was bad. And the interest rates were 16% for a house, a mortgage rate, 16%. You think it's hard to buy a house now? And we were making this deal to buy this house. And I didn't have enough money for the, the down payment. And I, I, I drove this pretty nice car. It was an Audi. And uh, I needed to sell it. I couldn't sell it because the economy is so bad. Do you know that John bought it from me and paid me the price I need? He said, how much do you need for, for your down payment? I said, $8,500. He paid me $8,500 for a car worth probably seven. And he bought this car off me. And we were able to buy this house. And they just took us under their wing and just walked with us in life is all they did. And then what happened is I got really really excited about God and the things of God and ministry. And I made the decision that I was actually going to go into ministry. I was going to go to Bible school. So I didn't know nothing from nothing anymore. So I'd know, you know something and nothing, a little bit of something. So I decided I was going to go off to Bible school, but then I was going to have trouble earning a living, had to quit my job, which I did. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this, go to Bible school in the morning and I need to find a job in the afternoon. So John was a contractor and he says, Mark, I'd be willing to hire you in the afternoon. I said, really? He says, can you swing a hammer? To which I said, 
I didn't know what he meant by that. And, and so when he said, can you swing a hammer? I said, of course I can swing a hammer. I'm thinking, who can't swing a hammer? Anybody can swing a hammer. I didn't know he meant actually being able to hit a nail while you're swinging it. That's another level of competence that I didn't quite have. But anyway, he says, can you swing a hammer? I said, sure. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to hire you. You can come on this crew. And uh, the rest of the guys start at 7 in the morning. You can come at noon. <laughs> I mean, I was the only guy in the construction business that started at noon. And I went to class in the morning at noon I would show up so he says see you on Monday I said what do I need to bring he says just bring your tools so I thought well that'll be easy all I own is a hammer and a tape measure I didn't even own a tool belt I showed up on the construction site with a hammer and a tape measure didn't even have a pencil didn't have a nail pouch nothing I showed up in like dress clothes practically (laughs) and I showed up I'm here he says where are your tools I said you're looking at them and so, so he says to me, okay, all right. He says, so I got a job for you, Mark. We're in this, we're renovating this old warehouse and there's this hallway that runs off in this direction. He says, I think, he says, a bulkhead would look really great over that, over that hallway. And I said, John, I couldn't agree more. That hallway totally needs a bulkhead. And so he says, I want you to build a bulkhead across there and I'll be back about four o'clock, see how you did. So I only had one tiny little problem. You know what it was? I didn't know what a bulkhead actually was. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. And he just sent me off, went off with me giving the instructions to build this bulkhead. Now, good news was there was a guy on our, our crew named Frank who was an actual carpenter. He actually did know how to swing a hammer, and he had a bunch of tools and stuff to go with it. So I went over to Frank. I was, I, I've always been really cool. You, you know that, right? And so, so I went over to Frank and said, hey, Frank, I'm Mark. I'm the new guy here. And uh, so John wants me to build a bulkhead over that hallway, which I think would look great. Um, but if you were going to build the bulkhead, uh, how would you do it? <laughs> and so he says, well, this is what I do. Guys love to talk about how they would do something. So he explained the whole thing. He said, I'd build it on the ground. I'd do it like this, and then I'd stick it up into place. I said, you know, that's exactly how I'm planning on doing it. <laughs> So, so I got the lumber. I borrowed a saw. He was so mad at me. I didn't even have a skill saw of my own. And a pencil. Do you have an extra pencil? And so anyway, I built, I built this bulkhead, stuck it up in there, and I, I secured it in, fastened it into one wall and the other wall like this, and it hung like this, like an upside-down arch. And I stood back. It didn't quite look right to me, but it was the best I could do. I didn't know you had to tie it into the ceiling. How was I going to do that? And so anyway, John shows up at 4 o'clock. And uh, he looks at that and he says, well, I see you got it in place. There's a bit of a bow to it. (laughs) I said, yeah, I guess the lumber's crooked. He says, no, you got to fasten it into the ceiling, he says. So anyway, I had Frank help me with that. So I thought, like, I am the worst carpenter ever. And so then about a month into this, John takes me out for lunch. And he says he wants to have a serious conversation with me. I thought, oh, no, here it is. He says, you know, having a bit of trouble with the crew. He says... He says, I only got a couple of guys that are really pulling their weight, and the rest of us are holding us back, and you're one of them, Mark. And, and I said, yeah, I know. He says, that's why I want to know if you'll take lead of the crew. 
Yeah. What? <laughs> when he said I was one of them, I thought I was one of the guys holding the back, not one of, one of the guys pulling my weight. I said, you want me to? He says, I see leadership in you. I think it would really help you take a little bit more leadership in the crew. I said, okay, but one thing you better promise me you won't do, don't fire Frank. Frank is a real asset to this crew, and I just don't think I'd be the same without him. <laughs> Frank was doing my job, supplying all my nails. And, and so... He would, my whole point of this story is here was this older couple that just took us under their wings and just carry, carried us through life and carried us in our early form of Christianity and just modeled what it was to, to be a Christian. And you know, fascinating thing to me, if you were to ask them today if they discipled us, they would probably say, no, we didn't disciple them. But in fact, they did. You know how they did it? They just loved us and were Christians and modeled it and we watched them do it and then eventually we did it, rinse and repeat. Do you see how easy this is and how simple? Every one of you are a disciple maker. So that's the first thing. Make disciples as you go. Number two is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I already explained that part to you. Let me deal with the baptism part. Because we're in a bit of a crisis in North America because the majority of Christians no longer believe that baptism is important. And they say, well, I don't need to be baptized to be saved, right? And so we have a lot of people running around not being baptized. They don't understand how important it is that the scripture actually told us and commanded us to be baptized. And you say, well, what difference does it make? I'll tell you what difference it makes. No, it's true. You do not need to be baptized to be a Christian and go to heaven. But what it is, it's an external, an outward declaration of what happened on the inside. And what happens when you are water baptized is you are declaring to the world that you are committed to this thing called Christianity. And let me show you what Peter wrote. Peter, of course, stood up on the day of Pentecost. He had, there were 120 of them. They're in the upper room. They tumble out endued with the Holy Spirit. They come out of the upper room into the streets. Peter preaches this amazing message. How many people got saved that first day? Anybody remember? There were 3,000. And this is what he says to these people. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of them were supposed to be baptized? Every one of you. It was a command, just like it is in the Great Commission, to make disciples baptizing every one of them. And they've done studies on this, and they've determined that people who are water baptized are far less likely to backslide, far more likely to stay with their faith for the long term. It's just the absolute truth. And that's why we put such a high value on baptism in this church. That's why we don't shy away from it. And think about baptism. I mean, it's kind of the craziest thing you'd ever see in your life, right? You have otherwise sane people come up in front of a bunch of their peers, fully clothed, and we dunk them in water. I mean, it's a crazy thing. We grab them by the neck, and we force them under the water, and we hold them down to the bubble stop coming. And you think, that seems really weird that we do that. And what we're doing is we are helping them in the process of identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's why we do it. And on the surface, honestly, people, if you're from outer space and you're looking, this looks bizarre. I mean, in this church, we have a baptismal tank right there. You've all seen it. You've all been at baptisms here. We have a swimming pool right in our stage. So when you're not here, I can go swimming and stuff. And, you know, and we can make it any temperature. We can have it 
piping hot or freezing cold. Those are the two temperatures we seem to be able to pull off in this place. And then we invite people and we say, okay, we, we're going to dunk you in this tank. We want you to come up and we're going to dunk you in this tank. But wear your clothes. I say, can't I wear a bathing suit? And he said, no, you have to wear your clothes. That's why we do it. That's how we do it in this church. They say, why do I have to wear my clothes? Because it would be uncomfortable for everyone else if you didn't wear your clothes, we tell them. And then we take these fully clothed people and we dunk them in the tank, just like I said. And here's the, the thing about baptism, just so you know this. You don't actually have to be baptized in a church. And you don't have to have a pastor baptize you. It tells you to make disciples and for you to baptize them. Now, I think it's great that people do it in their church and de- declare it in front of other people. It's a wonderful thing we do it. But just so you know, I mean, throughout my Christian life, I've baptized people all over the place. I've baptized them in pools. I've baptized them in hot tubs. I baptized this one guy in a ditch. He said it was a river, but it looked like a ditch to me. And I'm glad my head didn't go under that water. That's all I have to say. I put his, I mean, he disappeared when I went under there. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. he's still there. Pulled out a catfish. It was fantastic. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you one final little story about this. So, so uh, about three weeks ago, I think it was, we did a baptism. Three weeks, something like this. We had a group of people. They're always fantastic. They come up here and they tell these incredible stories about their journey and how they came to Christ and why they're being baptized, why they made this decision. So three weeks ago, we had this Chinese international student at UVM. He stood up here and he said, hi, my name is Harry. Everybody laughed. He says, okay, that's not my, my Chinese name, but for your sake, I've changed my name to Harry. I always think that's great that they pick these names that you and I can actually pronounce. Shame on us that we can't pronounce them, right? But Harry's a pretty good one. I never asked him. Next time I see him, I'm going to ask, did, are, did you choose that name after Prince Harry? Because I baptized another guy named Bob, Chinese student from China, and I asked him why he became Bob. He said, because I grew up watching SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> And he was my hero. He named himself after SpongeBob SquarePants. And I, and I appreciate the fact that he wants to be Bob. And I thought, you know, if I ever move to China, I'm going to change my name to Jackie Chan is what I'm going to do. That's, that's who I want to be. I don't know who you want to be. Anyway, that's what I'm going to do. So, so anyway, Harry stands up here. And uh, he says, my name is Harry. And he tells his story about why he came to Christ. He's told a short version of it. But he said, I came to U of M. Every time I went into UMSU, the university center there, he said there was these Christians, and they were handing out these pamphlets about Christianity, and they were being rejected again. And every day they were back. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? That every day they're willing to bear this reproach and bear this rejection day after day after day. And then he thought, they must be really committed to whatever this is in that pamphlet or they wouldn't be willing to live with that kind of rejection. So he took the pamphlet and read about it and realized, if this is what it is, if this is Christianity that makes you so committed that it wants, it demands you share it with the whole world, then I want a piece of that. And he came to Christ, and at his baptism, he had 20 Chinese students here with him, watching him get baptized. It was so cool. So the first thing is simple, simple. Make, make disciples, rinse and repeat. The second thing, we have to remember to baptize them. The third thing is says to teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. Now, here's the point. You get this. If you're going to be a disciple, you better know something, a few things, And that's why we teach people and we tell them about what Jesus taught us because we're supposed to live like Jesus, not like the devil, like we used to. 
And so many people in North America are coming to Christ and saying, I'm a Christian, living like the devil. That's not really what it is to be a Christian. And our job is to not only be, you know, discipling them and baptizing them, but ensuring that they know a few things about what it is to be a Christian, which is exactly what Jesus did with his 12th. Do you remember? It says he preached to the multitudes and he taught his disciples. And he spent more time teaching his disciples than he did preaching to the multitudes. Because they were his main priority because he wanted them to become disciple makers, rinse and repeat. This whole message is on the back of your shampoo bottle in case you can't remember any of it. All right? And so our job, obviously, it makes so much sense, right? What we need to do is to be teaching others the things that we have learned. And we have a whole world out there that doesn't know very much about Jesus. And it's our job to make sure they somehow get instructed about it. So I want to land this series with a story uh, that is pretty current with me. It's kind of interesting, fascinating story that kind of sum up a lot of the pieces of this. And so you know that we did the pie auction and we've done it every year. And this year we did it uh, online and uh, we had more money come in than any other year in our history. And we send off money into various places all around the world. And uh, before the pie auction, uh, I got a, a letter, a thank you card actually from Turkey. Adana, Turkey. I got the thank you card, and it was from this couple. Their names were Rich and Lori Felder. I had no idea who they were, and they said, Pastor, you don't know us, but we are just so overwhelmed that from someone that doesn't even know us, you would be supporting us so generously from your church. I'm reading this card thinking, I have no idea who these people are. Now, I think Pastor Keith might have known, but he passed away, and I got the correspondence with our missionaries around the world. I didn't know who these people were. So I looked on the map, saw Turkey. I'm thinking, who do we support in Turkey? So I went back to what we had, had done and where we had given money, and I figured maybe they were Frontiers. So I phoned up Frontiers, and I said, do you know this Rich and Lori Felder? And they said, yeah, that's the people you, you support in Turkey. I said, yeah, I, I knew that. And, uh, and I said, well, that's really great because they, they sent me this thank you card. And they don't know me and I don't know them. And they're thanking us for this money that you gave them. I didn't give them the money. You gave it to them. And so, so then uh, we had more money come in, like I said, than we had before. So I said, I'll tell you what. We have more money come in than we had, and we need to designate it to the 1040 window. So tell the Felders we'll be giving them another $10,000 because they gave us a thank you card. And tell the rest of your missionaries, send out a thank you card for goodness sakes, and maybe we'll send you $10,000. <laughs> so, so we sent them a bunch of money. You sent them a bunch of money. So then the other day, they called me up out of the blue, and they were in North America. They were here for a few weeks, and they wanted to come see me. I said, you can't come see me. They were in the U.S. because I said the border wasn't open. But they said, well, we'll Zoom. So I did this Zoom call with them. I, I don't know these people from Adam. Here's a picture of them, by the way, Richard and Lori, uh, Lori Felder. And it turns out they're the same age as I am. And I said, tell me your story. And their story just staggered me because they, these, they're kind of actors. They're drama people. And they were just this young couple going to college and doing drama and doing campus ministry and doing drama and expressing Christ. And then they got married and they moved to Virginia Beach. And they thought, what are we going to do with our life? We need to do something. We got these particular gifts that we have of drama and media. That's our thing. And uh, what had happened, it was the early 90s and the Iron Curtain had fallen down. And uh, some of these countries that were close to the gospel all of a sudden became available. And Frontiers, this missions organization, wanted to send teams into Azerbaijan. 
Azerbaijan is north of Iran and Turkey, and so their church told them about this, and they looked at each other, and they said, let's go to Azerbaijan. And they packed up their three boys, ages four to eight years old, and moved to Azerbaijan, where they spent the next 13 years of their life. And when they got there, they didn't even know what they were going to do. And they got there, and they said, what can you do? And they said, we can do puppets. So they started doing puppet ministry. Puppets are amazing because they transcend language barriers and a whole bunch of people started to come to Christ. And then they started to plant churches and then they started to disciple these people and they were part of this great movement of the gospel, basically a revival in Azerbaijan, teaching these people how to obey and follow Christ. And they were doing such an amazing job. People from Turkey said, which is one of the least reached countries in the world today, Turkey, which was the first country outside of Israel evangelized. If you go read the book of Acts, now they're the least. They got invited down to Turkey. They came down to Turkey. They've been there for 14 years. And they're producing these amazing videos. And I, I watched one. And their, their quality, the production quality, is as good as anything you're going to see on Netflix. And what they're doing is they're teaching the Turkish people, the Muslim people, about the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And there is only one Messiah... There's no Messiah in the Quran, and there's only one Jesus. And so when they talk about Jesus, the Messiah, they actually know what they're talking about. And so they're doing these videos, and the video I saw was subtitled, and it was the story of the woman at the well in Samaria. And there's these lessons of what Jesus taught, and they're doing it in the Turkish language. And this was my favorite part. I said, who's this actor? that's playing Jesus. And they said, well, let me tell you about that actor. He's a famous YouTuber here in Turkey. And we walk down the streets, everybody knows him from his YouTube. And he's a secular Muslim. And now everybody knows him as Jesus. How cool is this? They're paying this dude who's Jesus. And everybody knows him. They know his face and they know his voice. And they're taking the, the gospel to the Turkish people because God somehow weaved all of this fantastic stuff together. And all they did is as they went, they made disciples and God was with them. And we are all part of it because we support them. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be such a celebration because we're going to see people from all over the world that we were part of bringing to Christ and discipling into the kingdom of God. That's what this whole thing is about. Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. This is the mission. Every single one of you is a disciple maker. And we are all on this ship together because every ship has a heading all aboard for the trip of a lifetime. All right, let's stand together. I know that was a long story, but it was worth it, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So let's do this. Let's all bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes just for a moment because we never close the service without giving people that invitation to come on their journey with us. And if you're here and you've never said yes, you've never agreed to be a follower of Christ, or maybe you have in the past and you've slipped away, or maybe you're just not sure that if you were to die today or tomorrow, you're on your way to heaven. And it all begins with that simple decision. Do I want to be a follower of Christ? And nobody's looking around. There's no uh, eyes open. People online, there's a little hand that pops up in your screen and you can just click on that hand and you make the same decision. But if you're in this room and you'd like to make that decision, I want you to just raise your hand right now. You would like to be a new follower of Christ. You'd like to make that decision today. All right. Thank you. 
Okay. All right, we're going to pray with these people. But I wonder if the rest of you will pray with me too. And this is going to be a bold prayer. And it's going to commit ourselves to follow Jesus and agree to be a fully committed follower of Christ. So if you don't want to pray this prayer, don't say it. But if you do, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you that you died there for me and took away my sins. And they're all washed away. And then you rose again on the third day. And you forever lived to be my Lord. And you've called me to be a disciple. A fully committed follower of Christ. And I desire today to follow hard after you. And not just myself, but to bring others along the journey. And that I too would be a disciple maker as you take me on the trip of a lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout today, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.